Good morning, New Walk Church. Man, a beautiful fall day like this. There's a thousand things you guys could have chose to do, and yet you came here to worship our God together with your brothers and sisters. That's awesome. We're glad that you guys are here today. Now, if you're one of the ones who Rusty just mentioned we call our VIPs, the first or second time guest, I want to tell you right off the bat, I'm not the guy, okay? We have a lead pastor, Pastor Gary, who's out of town this week. If you're here regularly, you know he leads us each week through powerful messages from God's word, leads us well. So he'll be back next week. So if you're new, make sure you come back next week because you got to hear him. But for now, some of you probably were panicking and you thought, okay, Rusty and Eddie are taking over the joint. No. Let me, let me ease your fears. Pastor Gary will be back next week. So for this week, go back about two months ago, we were preparing this, this series and planning out the weeks and the messages, and it, this week was assigned to me because Pastor Gary was going to be out of town, so we, the topic was assigned uh, the cure for complaining. I thought, perfect, piece of cake. Like, I'm a, a pretty positive guy, pretty happy guy. I don't complain much. No problem. I got this. Taken care of. Guess what I found out over the last two months? I'm a bit of a complainer. When my, my antenna was up, thinking about complaining, preparing for this message, I started to realize some things about myself. Here's an example. Uh, my wife and I were driving down the road about six weeks ago. We're, um, I'm in the passenger seat, she's in the driver's seat, cruising along, and then we're coming up to a stoplight and there's a car in front of us who jams on the brakes at a yellow light clearly too soon. We come to a quick stop, the light's still yellow for a second, now, listen, there's two types of people in this world. There's some of you who you see a yellow light, and that means brake, brake pedal, right? How who's, who's that person? Don't, don't be ashamed. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, then there's the other type of person in the world, yellow light, gas pedal. <laughs> and here's why. We know that here living in Florida, if you get stuck at a red light, you might as well just... Tip your chair back, put on some soft music, and take a nap because you're going to be there for a while. So this guy clearly hits, hits his brake too early. We're sitting there at a yellow light for a second, then a red light, and I'm looking at my watch like, oh my goodness, can you believe this guy? How could he do this? I mean, seriously, we are, we're running behind. I've got to get there. He's hitting, the, you know, he's hitting his brake when he shouldn't be. And, you know, well, then the light finally turns green. And the cars over here go, the cars over here go, but we're still sitting there behind this guy who's clearly not paying attention. And then I'm really like, oh, come on, seriously, dude, you got to get going. And um, so then I, mind you, I'm in the passenger seat. I reach over and press this, this button on the steering wheel designed to make your car complain out loud. You know which button I'm talking about? <laughs> Gentlemen, if your wife is ever driving, keep your hands off the steering wheel do not beep the horn because um, it did not go well for me. Let me just say that. My complaining in that moment, blah, 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 turned into a horn honk, and let's just say it got me into some trouble. All that while I'm preparing to speak a message on complaining. So you'd think I'd learned my lesson, right? Come on, no trust in me? You're right. <laughs> Last weekend, we flew to Detroit. I'm going to see some old friends and family. Flight up there was great. We actually booked some really cheap tickets, um, which was fine. But you know when you book really cheap tickets, like you have to pay for everything extra. Like if you want to 
If you want anything, you're gonna pay for it. If you wanna pick your seats, you gotta pay for it. I'm like, I'm not paying for any of that. So we, we get to the airport in Tampa. We're gonna fly up there. And we had checked in, but they had signed our seats, you know, two completely opposite ends of the plane. So I went up to the counter, talked to the lady. She's like, oh, no problem, sir, we got you. Gives us two new tickets. We're sitting by each other on the flight. It's beautiful. Not the same in Detroit. <laughs> any, any Detroiters in the house? Any Michiganders in the house? You know. I'm from there. Um, so I, same, same scenario, we, we checked in, our seats are two completely different spots. So I walked up to the counter, same spiel, hey, we booked our tickets, da 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 Oh, no, sir. She cuts me off. <laughs> we do not do that. Did you pay for it? I'm like, well, no, but you know, we booked our, our tickets at the same time and, and we, we checked in at the same time. And, no, sir. We do not do that. If you wanna pay for it, you can do that. But otherwise, no. It's, clearly I was not getting anywhere. Back away, I go sit down next to my wife about a half hour before the plane starts boarding, and then it starts. Who is she to tell me that I can't switch a seat? The lady in Tampa, switch a seat. How, what kind of airline is this? What, what in the world's with these people? And we're just trying to sit by each other on a plane. And I'm blah, 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 blah. My poor wife is sitting there listening to this. And then finally the topic moves on. We're chatting about our week ahead and what she had to do, what I do. And she said, You're speaking next weekend, right? I'm like, Yeah. So what you speaking on? well, there's, there's like a story in the Bible, you know, we're gonna talk about this. So listen, I tell you that to say this. Two months ago, I thought, yeah, no problem with this. I, I don't complain, I'm a pretty positive guy. And over the last two months, God has sat me down time and time again and said, you need to listen to this message that I'm giving. And so I've been working on it. And I would venture to say there may be one or two, maybe a few more, of you who would say the same thing. You're like, I don't need a message on complaining. I'm gonna ask you to do something. Let's, let's do a quick test. Over the last two months, how many of you have ever complained about your service at a restaurant in the last two months? Anyone? Okay, a few of you, that's all right, that's all right. How many of you have complained about somebody's driving in the last two months? Okay, a few more of you. Um, anyone complain about their job? Over Unless your boss is here, keep your hand down. I give you permission to you take a free pass on that one, okay? How about this? Anybody complain about government or politics in the last two months? Okay, okay. So maybe as I throw myself under the bus at the beginning of this message, a few of you might want to crawl under there with me. <laughs> we'll smell like diesel fuel for the rest of the day, but... I just want you to do this. I want you to pay attention because what I thought I didn't need to hear, God has been showing me. You know what? There's something in this for you. Maybe we'll find out that there's a little Karen living inside of all of us. <laughs> so with that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you once again for the journey you've brought me on over the last couple months in, in teaching me. Help me to continue learning to continue walking away from my old life and embracing the way you've called me to live. And I pray that you would speak to all of us today from your word. Show us who you want us to be. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> so all day long, there's some things we can probably find to complain about. For interacting with people or circumstances, situations, there's things that would drive us to complaining if we're not careful. So here's the first thing I want you to put in your notes. It's simply this. Complaining spreads like a virus. 
Complaining spreads like a virus. Now, we've been very virus conscious, conscious the last few years with everything that's going on. We know how viruses work. One person has it. There are around three other people. They give it to those three people. Then those people go to others, and they spread that to others, and it just spreads and spreads and spreads. Complaining does the same thing. It starts inside, starts to boil to the surface, surface, and then we start complaining. We complain um, at our, to our family, to our spouse. We complain at work. We complain at church, to our church friends. We complain at our small group, our serve teams. And before we know it, this poison is spreading. Hebrews 12, 15 puts it this way. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So complaining spreads like a virus or a, or a poisonous root. Well, what is complaining? I think we've heard it enough to know that we, don't, we probably don't need a dictionary definition of what complaining is. But what is complaining really? What is that, that show? What is complaining it's the second thing I want you to put in your notes. Complaining is an internal warning. Complaining is an internal warning. It's, a, it's an indication that something's wrong. Whether you realize it or not, something's wrong that needs to be addressed. So don't ignore it. A long time ago, I was in college, and it was, it was springtime. I was in South Carolina. Springtime, I was walking to this event with three of my friends. And it was an event that we had to dress up for, put on a tie and a sport coat. And so we're walking along, a nice spring day, you know, looking, looking good. And we come across, there's these huge trees with uh, blooms all over them in the springtime. It's um, gorgeous little white flowers. So as we're already looking pretty good, one of my friends grabs some flowers, tucks them there. We all do the same thing, walking with these flowers tucked in our lapel. Maybe some of the ladies will notice you know, how, how nice we look. We, we get to the auditorium, file in, find a row. We, we sit down. We sit down about 30 seconds later. Somebody's like, man, you smell that? I'm like, yeah, I do smell that. Looking around at other people. Man, what, what is that smell? People stink around here. Like, let's, let's move. It hadn't started yet. So we got up. We find a whole other section. File down a whole new row. We're sitting there. <laughs> Man, it's over here too. Check your shoes. We're, we're all doing this number. Like, what is that smell? Finally, one of them realized it's these flowers. It was from a, I think it's a dogwood tree. Do you know like those, the, I can't remember which tree this is. I keep meaning to look, look it up. In, in the springtime, gorgeous looking tree with horrendous smelling flowers that we all had tucked in to our lapels, sitting there in our own stench, blaming it on everybody else. Who stinks? Must be you, must be you. There was a warning going off, and we were ignoring it. Complaining can be the same type of thing. When you feel your mouth complaining, there's a warning going off, so don't ignore it. Now, what is that warning? What should that point us to? Well, I'd like to show you from the scripture. I'd like to show you what that looks like in the Bible. Now, wouldn't it be cool if we could get in a time machine and go back in time and and see some of those big events play out in scripture that we see? Like, would you guys come with me if we, if we could go and see that, that moment where the Red Sea was parted? Would you guys want to see that? Who'd, who'd, who'd be with me? Okay, a few of you. Or maybe see God in the thunder and lightning up on a mountain. I mean, if we saw those moments, that would be a faith-building moment. We would never forget something like that, right? That'd be, that'd be, that'd be so awesome. I mean, that would build an unshakable trust in God, Right? Let's go on a little journey today 
through some of the key moments in the history of the people of Israel. We're going to pick up in the, the book of Exodus, where the book opens and you find that the descendants of Abraham are living in slavery in Egypt. And the conditions are harsh. Their workload was enormous. But God saw what was going on. He saw their difficulty. So he prepares a man named Moses to lead the people to freedom, to this land that God had promised them long ago. And through this miraculous chain of events, God brings Pharaoh to his knees, in a sense, to the point of letting them go, setting the, them into freedom. And he sends them off with money and cattle and clothing. And so they head out through the wilderness to this new land that God had promised them. But just a short way into the journey, something snaps in Pharaoh's mind. He starts regretting his decision, so he sends the entire Egyptian army after him. And by this time, the Israelites had reached the shores of the Red Sea. They turn around and look, and here's the army on the horizon. They're trapped. Now what are they going to do? In Exodus 14, this is what the people did. Verse 11. And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Oh my word. That's a lot of complaining right there. But listen, they were legitimately scared. So for now, let's cut them some slack. Deal? We'll cut them some slack. God knew what was going on, so he sends this strong wind to part the waters, and the Israelites walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. They miraculously make it across. Good, right? I mean, that would be a life-changing moment. If we went back in that time machine, I could see all of us. We'd be down there in the middle of it with our phones like selfies. Oh, my word, posted on social media. This is, this is the coolest thing. We would never forget that moment. God is so cool. Look what he did for us. Never forget, right? Let's see what happens. Next chapter, Exodus 15, the other side of the Red Sea. About three days later, their water supply starts to run low. They're, they're, they're looking around. Where are we going to find water? They come across an oasis. Turns out the water at the oasis was too bitter to drink. So guess what the people do? They run to Moses, and they start complaining again. The scriptures say that they even turned against him. They had literally just seen God deliver them twice. Freedom set free from Egypt. Now, walking across the Red Sea on dry ground, how could they forget so fast? Well, if you've been thirsty before, it can be pretty frustrating, right? Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. They complained a little bit. Okay, let's keep going. So God miraculously makes the water clean and everyone got all the, water, all the water they needed. Next chapter, Exodus 16. As you could guess, they started to get hungry. That's understandable. Supplies are running out. But rather than running to God to pray, to provide once again, instead the people run to Moses and they complain and moan. They even said, we were better off in Egypt and Moses just let him out there to die. Really? They're, they're bringing this up again? But God sees what's going on, and he provides for them something called manna. It was this food that would miraculously appear on the ground every morning. Scripture said it was some type of sweet honey wafer that would rain down from heaven every morning. 
like heavenly Pop-Tarts laying on the ground right outside your tent every morning. This must have been amazing. I mean, you could trust God now, right? Next chapter, Exodus 17. Water starts to run low again. You'd think, okay, they're going to they're gonna trust God to provide. He already provided water for them once. He's got this. There's nothing to worry about. But let's see what happens. Instead, they run back to Moses and complain and argue with him. Now, all right, I'm not trying to excuse their actions, but it must have been frustrating. So let's give them another chance. And God comes through again. This time, he causes water to flow out of a rock. Impossible. Something that is impossible. The people are able to see this fresh water flowing from a rock. I mean, you cannot mistake that God has got their back. He's providing for them. God's awesome. Well, before long, the people start to get tired of the manna. And guess what they do? They start complaining again. They said they had better food back in slavery. They wanted some meat instead. So guess what they do? March over to Moses and start complaining again. Let's give him a good shakedown this time. When Moses hears this again, he's livid. And so he goes to God. But even Moses, rather than talking to God about the problem, he immediately starts yelling at God. Saying, why did you put me in this position? Why don't you just kill me out here in the desert? What? Did you not just see everything that God has done for them? Yes, even Moses fell into the same pit of complaining. But let's not be too hard on them. They're all tired of the miraculous Pop-Tarts. They wanted something different. So God provides once again. He sends miraculously these enormous flocks of quail that fly along the ground are easy to catch. So immediately they have all the meat they could want. Now a quail is like a small expensive chicken. And this week I looked up, if you were to go to Burns Steakhouse in Tampa and order roasted peppercorn quail, it would cost you 44 bucks. So you look at what they had out there in the wilderness. $44 meal, $44 meal, $44 meal, $44 meal, $44 meal. God at this point is just showing out. I got you. Look what I'm giving to you. So what do the people do? Let me ask you this. What is complaining? We started this definition a minute ago. I said that complaining is an internal warning. Let's finish that statement out. Complaining is an internal warning that I am not trusting God. Complaining is an internal warning that I'm not trusting God. You might say, well, I'm not complaining against God. That's crazy. I'd never do that. But you know what? Neither were the Israelites, at least directly, anyways. For the Israelites, even though their complaints were directed in all sorts of places, especially Moses... In reality, every complaint was a cheap shot against God. And even though they saw him come through for them time and time again, the next time something would go wrong that they didn't like, rather than turning to him, they turned to each other and run to Moses and complain and complain and complain, bitter complaining, the scripture says. 
And it would spread throughout their ranks time and time again. Now, just like them, I think we're pretty quick to excuse or maybe justify our complaining. Oh, I'm not, I'm not being critical. I'm just offering some constructive criticism. I'm not complaining. I'm just voicing my opinion strongly. I'm only being analytical. Listen, I'm just helping the baristas become more astute and attentive to the, the needs of their patrons. No, we're complaining again and again and again. We can excuse it any way we want, but it's still complaining. All right, so let's get back to this journey through the wilderness. This is where it gets really important. I want you guys, if you've drifted off for a moment, I want you to come back here with me and listen. So now, at this point in their journey, they've seen God rescue them from slavery, cross the Red Sea on dry ground, provided clean water, provided manna, the heavenly Pop-Tarts, provide water again, provide the quail. I mean, at this point, okay, okay, God's got us. We, we can quit worrying, we can quit our complaining, right? Well, Numbers 13, they come to Canaan, the promised land, this place, this beautiful place that God had prepared for them. And so they send 12 people in to check out the land before they go. 12 people come back and say, man, this place is awesome. It's everything that God promised. It's amazing. But then 10 of them say, but I don't think we could trust God. It's too dangerous. I don't think we can make this. Let's, let's not go in. And two of them say, are you crazy? No. God has promised us this. He's got us. Let's go. Well, instead of being excited about the land that God promised them, they start right back with the complaining again. This time, even worse. Scripture says their voices rose in a great chorus of protest, saying they were better off in Egypt. So they decide to declare mutiny against Moses, return back to Egypt, and even kill the two spies who said they should go in. Yeah, the two guys that showed a little bit of positivity, let's, let's get rid of them. So what does God think about all this? Here's where I want you to pay close attention. As God sees this playing out again, he comes to Moses and says, and for this one, I want you to see right out of the pages of scripture. Numbers 14. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness. Because you complained against me, every one of you who's 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephthah, and Joshua, son of Nun. Holy Moses. Pun intended. Did you catch what just happened? They just got banned from the promised land. Every one of them over the age of 20, except the two who showed some positivity. And look what it says why. Because you complained against me, you will not enter and occupy the land. Those are God's words. Yikes, is that, is that too harsh? I mean, apparently God doesn't take very lightly to complaining. He doesn't just brush it aside or ignore it. 
you see their complaints, even though it was mostly directed at Moses and their circumstances, it was just a reflection of their lack of trust or confidence in God or willingness to accept his plans. And they were good plans that he had designed for them and proved it again and again. Yet again and again, they felt they couldn't trust him. So next thing I want you to put in your notes, God will not tolerate our repeated distrust of him. Now let's be honest, these were some difficult things that we're facing. This isn't simply just complaining at a traffic light or an airport terminal. But regardless of why they were complaining, you gotta keep this in mind. The size of the problem is not the issue. Our response is the issue. Here's a statement that we, we teach at a Prosso group that my wife and I do every now and then. The statement is this, circumstances do not cause bitterness. My response to circumstances will either allow bitterness to grow or fight against it. You know, it's so easy to look at our circumstances and justify your anger, your complaining, your bitterness. Or you can look at your circumstances and sometimes completely misinterpret what's going on. We're looking at the surface and missing that God has something completely different going on and yet we start complaining because we don't understand the situation. Long time ago, my cousin devised a plan for Halloween. This is a brilliant plan. Some of you might want to take notes at this point. It was in the Detroit area and it lived in a pretty densely populated neighborhood. Lots of candy, lots of houses. And so his plan was, I'm going to put on my costume, grab a bag, hit the neighborhood, come back with a bag of candy, change out my costume, grab a new bag, hit the same houses again. Brilliant, right? Yes, I, I agree. So the day comes, plan goes into action, makes the first round, everything's good, comes back, he's about to change into his next costume, but then he looks over and his stepdad's sitting at the table. He thinks, you know what? I've seen this happen before. Parents, you know, there's a candy tax, right? We, we, we get to pick through that bag and dig out what we want, right? Well, he's smarter than that. My cousin's smarter than that. So he puts a new plan into action. Takes that bag of candy, goes to the kitchen cupboard, puts it in, closes the cupboard, takes his bike lock, wraps it around the handles, I'm told you, this guy's brilliant. This is, this is an amazing plan. So act two goes, plays out. He makes the rounds, comes back with a second bag of candy, gets back, about to start digging through it. And his stepdad's like, oh, 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 hold up, hold up. Listen, we've all seen on the news, you know, people sometimes tamper with candy. We've got to check through it all before this happens. So he dumps the candy on the table, goes, unlocks the, the bike lock, takes the other bag out, dumps it on the table. They start looking through it, and all of a sudden, oh, no. Worst nightmare coming true. Every kid's nightmare, every parent's nightmare, as you're digging through the candy, there's a sharp metal object sticking out of one of the pieces of candy. The most brilliant plan a kid has ever devised is now completely destroyed. Can you imagine? Spirit crushed. And then, oh my, what are you gonna do? You're gonna call the police? You gotta do something about this. Maybe call the news media. Have them come out and check this out. My entire Two batches of candy completely destroyed because somebody's tampering with it. But as he looks at what it was, there's a fun-sized Snicker bar with a 
10-inch gutter spike poke through it. And as he looks up at his stepdad, stepdad's just smiling at him. You see, when my cousin went out for round two, his stepdad goes, grabs the screwdriver, takes the cupboard door off, takes the bag of candy out, applies the prank, puts it back in, screws the cupboard door back on, and has a good laugh about it. And now they have a story to tell for the rest of their lives. But imagine, in that moment, misinterpreting what's going on, everything was great, the best plan ever, completely destroyed. And you know what we do sometimes in those moments? We think we, we know what's going on, and we start complaining and whining and moaning. And God, how could you let this happen? And we tell our friends and we tell everybody we know about this horrible situation and we complain and complain and complain. Don't let a misunderstanding of your circumstances bring you down to complaining. Instead of complaining again and again and again, here's what you and I need to do. So next thing I want you to put in your notes. Take your frustrations directly to God not other people. Take your frustrations directly to God, not other people. Now, if you look through scripture, you're gonna find the word complain translated in other places as well. But many times, if you look in the Psalms, if you look in the book of Job, if you look in other places, this word complain is used, but it's a different original word. A word that means meditate, muse, commune, speak, ponder, talk, sing, in these, in these instances, they were not just complaining to everybody who would listen. They were going to God with their complaints, with their frustrations. And they were communing with God. They were pondering, talking, even singing through their complaints, difficulties, and frustrations. A totally different scenario. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Psalms 42, 11 says, Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. God honors those who come to him with their complaints with a humble and respectful spirit. If you're struggling with that, if, if you're struggling with the complaints in your own life, and you're saying, I just don't know how to make it through this, as a church, we can come alongside and help you with that. Are you in a small group? where your small group can come around you and help you and offer some perspective. Or maybe celebrate recovery on Monday nights where people can walk beside you as you walk through some difficulties. Or grief share or divorce care. Maybe on Fridays, re-engage for some help with your marriage. Instead of complaining about it, do something about it. FPU, if you're having trouble with your finances, instead of complaining about it, come around some other godly people who can point you in the right direction. Teens, if you're having trouble complaining, come on Wednesday nights. Listen to your leaders. Listen to Pastor Rusty to guide you. Instead of just sitting around complaining more and more and more. Now listen, this, this journey that we just went on through the wilderness with the Israelites, there's a purpose behind that. I want you to see how serious the issue of complaining really is. It's not something to just brush aside as unimportant. So what do we do about it? I mean, problems are gonna happen every day. Frustrations are gonna be knocking at our door. What's the cure for complaining? Well, on one hand, just knock it off. And yes, it can be that simple. Just stop it. 
Stop your complaining. But maybe more practically speaking, since that complaining usually comes from, from inside, before it ever makes it to your mouth, what do you do? And I'll tell you this up front, the cure's not found within yourself. More me time, more self-love. It's not found in changing your circumstances. If I only had it better, I wouldn't complain. Or if, if only things would just go my way more, I wouldn't complain. And the cure's also not found in just biting your tongue a little bit harder because it's still inside. So what's the cure for complaining? It's living the way God designed. It's this, it's the next thing in your notes. The cure for complaining is gratitude. Gratitude is embracing God's will for our lives and accepting it with joy. See, there's an important truth for us in here today that'll change our life if we let it. Philippians 4, verse 4 says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Now, it must have been easy for this guy to write. He was a, a Bible writer, right? No, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this from prison, saying, always be full of joy. Like I pointed out earlier, circumstances didn't produce the rejoicing. It was the deeper truth inside that produced the rejoicing. Be full of joy, rejoice. But you might say, you know what? I've got nothing to be thankful for. My life's been one hardship after another. Or maybe you feel like God's abandoned you. Well, think about it. Right now, you're sitting in a nice, soft, comfortable chair. And you may be able to think of a dozen times in your life when you thought it was over, or you couldn't move forward, or this, there's no way out of this. And yet, here you sit today. It seems to me that God has made a way this far, and he's not gonna stop now. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. That amen is for those of you who are really struggling with that to listen that it is true. God will come through. And like the Israelites in the wilderness, you may have had your own moments of hunger and thirst, your own threats from the enemies, or wishing that things were like they once were, or maybe having trouble seeing how God's gonna come through this time again. In verse four, in the middle of all that, highlights being full of joy. So you gotta have a choice. Either choose complaining or choose joy. Matter of fact, I want you to write that in your notes somewhere, anywhere. Write, choose joy. Right next to that doodle you've been doing. Choose joy. And that doesn't come from me. I want, you know, that comes from my wife, Julie. About a year ago, she adopted that phrase for herself. Said, you know what? I'm just going to choose joy. Choose joy. And if you know her well, this last year has been so difficult for her in so many different ways. And yet I've seen my beautiful wife choose joy again. And again, and again, and again. Even when her cranky husband, sitting in the passenger seat, is blowing the horn for her, she's saying, no, choose joy. So how do you do that? It can be difficult to learn how to choose joy. A bit of a process. Riding down the road. Jaira, you are enough, and I will be content. And every hey, buddy, where'd you learn how to drive like that, huh? Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which... Um, excuse me? Um, we were seated way before that table over there, and they already have their meal. That is unacceptable. You get it? 
You can either choose joy or choose complaining. You can either choose to believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, or you can choose complaining. You can either choose to trust your firm foundation or you can choose complaining. When you find your mouth complaining, it's that warning sign. Do you choose joy and trust God or not? Let's read on a little further in Philippians 4. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This word anxious or worry, the root of it means torn apart. Instead of anxiety and worry being torn apart, what does God tell us to do? Look at verse 6. He tells us this balance between letting God know what you need, taking your, take your complaints to him, let him know what you need, balanced with what? What does it say in there? It's in your notes. Thanking him for all he's already done. God, I'm, I'm having some trouble with this, but I've seen what you've done before and I trust that. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful balance that, that God gives us. So what do our prayers look like? This isn't just ignoring reality. It's actually choosing to acknowledge the reality of your situation and choosing to trust God in the middle of it. Not once do, the, do you see the Israelites saying, hey God, I remember how you came through last week or last month or last year and we're in a tough spot right now and I know that you're gonna come through again. Yes, there's a few individuals who tried to speak out but they were the ones who were mutinied and yelled at and threatened with death. Now you remember... I told you me and Julie sitting there in the car honking the horn. Guess what? We still got to where we were going on time. And all that complaining I did in the airport, when we got on the plane, there was an empty seat right next to Julie. And I sat next to her on the plane the whole way back. All that complaining for nothing. Verse 7 says, when we live this way with a heart full of gratitude, you'll experience God's peace. Peace is a word, the root of it means to made whole and complete. And if you don't feel like that in your own life, not whole and complete, is it possible that all that complaining you've got brewing inside, all that complaining that you let escape your mouth, all that complaining that you've let poison those around you to the point where nobody even wants to be around you is making your life messier. You're clogging the drain in your own life. So don't dismiss your complaining as no big deal. Your life, your joy might be being choked out by a complaining attitude. If you're perpetually mad at the world, maybe it's time to walk a different road. And so rather than walking away from this message and saying, you know what, I guess I should complain a little bit less, maybe instead it's time to repent, to come to God and say, God, I am sorry for not trusting you again and again and again, and I want to live a different way. I'm sorry for the poison I've been spreading. That better way is the intentional pathway of gratitude. I'm gonna show you one more thing. It's a little bit of a bonus to living this way. Yes, something greater than the peace that God gives us through gratitude. There's something more powerful, more eternal that our gratitude can accomplish. Philippians 2, verse 14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing 
so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Why does God tell us to shine like a bright light in a dark world? Because this world needs to be pointed to God through the light that he gives, through the joy that he gives. He's told us to shine. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, not a believer, maybe you're just here kind of checking things out, what is this all about? Let me tell you this. You may have seen some of us who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, act horribly. Maybe we were the complainers at the restaurant or at your job. Well, last month, our our lead pastor, Pastor Gary, led us through the series where we discussed the fact that the church is full of liars and hypocrites because God invites us all here. Yes, the church is full of imperfect people. We've been called to live by God's standard. We don't always get it right. And by no means am I excusing our behavior, but rather simply pointing out some good news for you if you're not a believer. Coming to know Jesus does not mean that you have to first become a perfect person. If that were the case, none of us would have any hope. But instead, God made a way for us to be forgiven so we can have hope of eternity through his son, Jesus. When we we surrender to him, he pays for our sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. The old life is gone. The new life begins, and that's some great news. But once we accept Christ and that new life begins, yes, we're still battling some of the things we struggle with. We're still trying to live up to the standard that God gave us, not to earn our salvation, not because God wants to put restrictions on us, but to live up to what he's called us to be. And sometimes we don't get it right, myself included. And my mouth has been guilty of complaining. I have been. So if you have seen followers of Jesus act this way, be the complainers, then I apologize. Again, I've been one of them. But please, don't let that stop you from putting your trust in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the really good news of the gospel. You don't have to become someone or be someone or wear certain clothes or say some right words just so God will forgive you. No, you do what Romans 10 says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's something all of us can be grateful for. And if you've never done that, today can be the day. You can turn from your old life, call on God, declare Jesus as Lord and change your eternal destiny right now. And maybe if that's you, today's message, this message about complaining was just a backdrop to what God wanted you to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And today is the day to turn to him. And I'm gonna ask you to do something so simple and yet it's so life-changing. It's eternity changing. It's following what God said in that verse we just looked at. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So I'm gonna ask you to do this. You guys can bow your heads to pray for just a second. With With your heads bowed, let me say, if, if you've been sitting here knowing that you're the one that needs salvation, you've never turned to Jesus, you can do that today, right now. And it sounds like this. You can pray this prayer right now. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. 
so I could experience forgiveness of my sin so that I could have your peace. Please forgive me and come into my heart. Make me new. Help me to live my life grateful for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you did that today, it's the best decision you can ever make. And I'd love to celebrate that with you. If, if you wanted to, if you could, take that Connect card. You can write that on there or check the box. Or maybe at the end of the service, you can come down and talk to somebody from our pastoral care team. Just let them know that you made that decision today. Not because we're going to embarrass you. We want to celebrate that with you. Now listen, today we laughed a lot about complaining. But I hope that you've seen that it's not something that God takes lightly. And I hope that you've seen that there's a much better way and there's more scripture references in your notes. You can look at the rest of Philippians 4 and get a jump start on what it means to live this way, a life of gratitude and joy. Oh, and here's one more thing. Here's that bonus I was telling you about. Here's what the gratitude of followers of Jesus can accomplish. A grateful heart points the world to Jesus. Would you say this world needs a little light? Would you say that this world needs the good news about Jesus? Well, our behavior as followers of Jesus, especially when we do it without arguing and complaining, shines a light in a dark world. Let's go out and be that light.